0: Welcome back to Mastering Meatail, a new podcast series about how to succeed in the world of e-commerce. This podcast is brought to you by Digital Commerce at Essential. Today, we are continuing talking about winning on Amazon through media or advertising with a focus on upper funnel tactics such as programmatic advertising and DSP.
1: The idea being that the upper funnel is driving awareness and getting people familiar that your product exists and maybe just learn a little bit about it so that then later you will go and move down the funnel and use other tools to either search for the product or end up where you're looking at the page.
0: I am still your host, Emma Irwin, and I'm excited to share this episode with you because not only did I learn a ton about programmatic advertising, but I had to learn a ton about this subject beforehand in order to really even have a conversation that would bring you valuable knowledge. I mention this because it's a good reminder that one of the common themes in this podcast is that you have to put in the work to learn and keep learning in order to succeed in e-commerce. And how do you do that? Well, this podcast is a good start.
1: So stay tuned.
0: Ooh, exciting. For this episode, I spoke to a very special guest that we have here at Essential. So you worked at Amazon, so that means you're probably just filled with secrets and knowledge that you can't tell anyone and you just kind of have to hold it in.
1: Is that a question? (laughs) That's a yes or no question. Yes. And his name is? I'm Mark Menino, and I'm Chief Operating Officer for Essential Digital Commerce. And I basically that means that I lead... All of our efforts around driving revenue of the business, so everything around go-to-market, sales and marketing is under me, as well as we've been very acquisitive in the space recently. So I'm in charge of how we pull all of the different brands and the companies that we've bought, how we pull them all together so we have one coherent offering for our customers.
0: And I'm calling him a special guest because, as you heard, he actually worked at Amazon and helped build what we're talking about today.
1: I was at Amazon for... About nine years, a number of different roles, mostly related to the DSP from early early stages when we didn't even call it that. We called it Amazon Advertising Platform. I led an early sales team while we were teaching customers how you buy programmatic from us. and then eventually moved into a product role because I wanted to uh, I wanted to own a PNL. so I wanted to own the entire business. and at Amazon, in order to do that, you tend to be in product. So for a couple of years, I led what we called our managed service business, which is where we ran campaigns for people. As we reorganized the business, I ended up leading a team that owned the user interface for the Amazon DSP. And I really owned the overall voice of the customer and what the overall roadmap was going to be. So I was able to touch a number of different things on Amazon DSP as it evolved from basically nothing to uh, close to what it is today.
0: Mark is going to teach us how to avoid the three most common mistakes that are made when it comes to programmatic advertising. And we'll also talk about working at Amazon, $100 cars, and Cliff Bars. But first, what is the last thing you purchased off of Amazon?
1: That's a really good question. It was probably, honestly, we have a few subscribe and saves, so I think it was probably Cliff Bars, or I recently bought a, um, a new headset for my son for his uh, PlayStation.
0: Interesting, interesting. That'll be the second person that mentioned Cliff Bars as the last thing they purchased (laughs) off of Amazon. I'm going to ask you a question now, and we can circle back to it at the end, but I'm going to ask you something that's been on your digital wish list. It sits in a cart that you just haven't pressed purchase on for a long time, and I'll ask you about why and what it is, but we'll circle back to it if that sounds good.
1: Yeah, yeah, sure.
0: What is programmatic advertising, you might ask? I will give you a 101 level definition. Programmatic advertising is the use of automated technology for media buying. And DSP simply stands for demand-side platform. And within a DSP, specifically Amazon's for this episode, is where this buying of media could occur. What does buying of media mean, you might ask? Very simplified. This means buying a spot for your ad to show up somewhere in front of someone it might mean something to.
1: So it could be on a web browser, which could be on your laptop. So if you use Chrome, Firefox, Safari, whatever, could be on your phone. You have browsers on there, same names, Firefox, Chrome, Safari. And then it also can be on apps. So often if you're playing a video game on your mobile phone, for example, you'll see ads as interstitials or after you've, let's say you complete a round and you're waiting for the next round, often a lot of the game companies will run ads in between and those tend to be programmatically sold. And then the last place, actually, which is relatively new, is you will see ads that are sold programmatically on your streaming, however you watch streaming TV, which could be on your Roku device or your Fire TV or on your smart TV.
0: Okay. For a two-on-one level definition of programmatic advertising, here's Mark's take.
1: Well, it's two things. It kind of gets that get conflated. One, at a very basic level, programmatic just simply means using technology to buy. Right, so whether it be, you know, how you set up campaigns, even search campaigns, theoretically are kind of programmatic because you're automating that entire process, right? So you're buying display and video impressions, and you're setting it up in an automated fashion so that you use a user interface and you don't have to call someone. You don't have to fat. In the old days, people used to fax orders back and forth, and they would agree, oh, next April, I'm going to buy a hundred thousand dollars of media from sportsillustrated.com, for example. Well, now with programmatic technology, you can simply say, hey, tomorrow I want to buy $1,000 of media that looks like X, right? So the first part is just simply the actual buying process. The second piece is, I guess the best way to describe it is breaking apart the, um, the buying of an individual website or an individual publisher from the buy itself. So for example, the example I gave where people would have bought you know, $100,000 from sportsillustrated.com or ESPN or New York Times. When you're buying programmatically, you no longer have to do that, although you can. But you can say, I want to buy $100,000 of people who look like this, right? Either people who've been to a specific website, so I think they're interested in my product, people who have demonstrated that they're looking to buy a car, People who we think are 25 to 45 year old men or 18 to 25 year old women. So you're able to suddenly buy um, at a much more granular level and target.
0: Before we dig into Mark's three common mistakes and how to avoid them, I wanted to gain a better understanding of DSP, AKA Demand Side Platform, too. Here is Mark explaining how a DSP works and how Amazon had to think about building theirs.
1: I mean, a DSP, and and DSP is not a word that Amazon made up. It's an industry term. There's a bunch of other DSPs out in market. Biggest one, the one most well-known is called the Trade Desk, okay? And DSPs are built to be interoperable with the ad tech industry, right? So there's lots of vendors out there that provide different services that advertisers need to run display campaigns and video campaigns and understand how they work, whether they be measurement right things like hey did this ad actually drive sales right things like viewability did anyone actually see my ad right because when you load up a web page and you're looking let's say i'm i'm looking at espn.com there's a, actually a lot of ads that tend to be um there launched they're on the page but they're not in, they're not within view cuz i just didn't scroll down maybe i immediately clicked and i went where i wanted to go but all those ads that never came in view didn't happen, right? There's vendors that tell you if consumers actually saw the ad. And there's a lot of other vendors that do a lot of different things. So when you build a DSP, you need to be interoperable with all of those things. And that's what we did with Amazon DSP. And they're still doing that. How do they make sure that an agency or an advertiser can use whatever they like? Sponsored display doesn't worry about any of that. It just fits within the sponsored ads portfolio, doesn't work, isn't interoperable with any of those other tools and just runs based on what they give you. And for many advertisers, that's totally fine and does exactly what they need. But if you're an advertiser, an agency that relies on a lot of these other tools, you need to use the DSP.
0: Let's get into your three common mistakes that can be made when it comes to programmatic advertising. And so I'm going to turn the table and read back number one to you. So that is not being clear about your goals, define these well in advance and know how they impact your business. So my follow-up question is, what would an example of a goal be and how might you achieve it?
1: Well, a basic goal is a cost per acquisition, right? So when when you are like stick with let's go a little bit away from digital commerce for a second and think of if you're a credit card advertiser, right? So you're American Express or you're Chase trying to get people to sign up for your Visa card, you know how much it costs or how much it co- how much it needs to cost you to get a new customer that you make money, right? Credit card cost per acquisition, a target CPA is usually a hundred or two hundred dollars per new applicant, right? At Amex, everybody knows that they've refined it down. They know exactly what they're doing and they can, they're very clear about it. Right. So when you get a campaign from Amex, you know exactly what you're gonna do. They tell you very clearly. So that's what I mean by really knowing and understanding how much you, how much is this worth to you? what is it worth? Like what's, you know, other goals that we work with are things like return on ad spend, which is how much sales do I get back divided by my ad spend? People have goals like a CTR, click-through rate. So what percentage of of people who see the ad actually click? You'll hear video completion rate. So how many people actually watch the whole video? And other more broader Goals will be things, and this is where, if you recall, I said the DSPs have measurement providers, right? There'll be people who tell you, well, what percentage of of impressions that you ran were within your target demographic, right? So they will know that, hey, you ran, let's say, 100 million impressions of this video ad. 70% of them were the women 25 to 45 that you wanted to target. So that's another goal. People have a lot of different goals. One thing that uh, I threw one in there that I think is a ridiculous goal and proves that you don't really know what you're doing, and that's click-through rate, because no company pays their bills with clicks, except for Google, I guess. Click-through rate, it doesn't mean anything. So we really drive our customers, and I've been doing this for years, no matter where I've worked, to really define their goal down to what really is driving and impacting their business, right? Right. So, if you work with cliff bars to stick with them, right, they obviously want to sell a certain amount of cliff bars on Amazon.com. And a sale of a cliff bar on Amazon.com is worth something to them. So, they should really be careful and precise in defining what return on ad spend they need when they run campaigns on, ad, on Amazon. So, that's where I mean. You know, it, it gets a little bit more challenging, though. And I talked about the video completion rate when you think of things like video, right? Because people tend not to click on a video and immediately buy. They buy, they may buy later, they may buy months later, right? So that's where you need to get really precise and learn how do you determine what your goal is for campaigns like that.
0: Is there like one shining star of a goal that exists out there that you would always tell manufacturers to say like, above all, this is what your number one goal should be? Or is it too kind of dependent on just the business itself?
1: Yeah, the cop-out answer is that it depends on the business. But the real answer, I mean, you should really understand. uh, I'm going to tell you a metric that probably doesn't even really No one really knows how to measure it that well. But it's probably incremental cost of sales, right? So if I didn't run the, you know, if I did, not the fact of the matter is, no matter how important we think we are in advertising, if we just suddenly didn't exist, people would probably still buy cliff bars. They might not buy as many of them and they might not buy them on amazon.com or as frequently as they, do, as they do, because I do believe we do something in the industry, but they'd still buy them, right? So really understanding the incrementality of this specific campaign and what is the incremental cost of sales is probably the, the real magic metric, if you can get it. The problem is it's, it's almost, it's really, really hard to calculate. You either have to, you either have to you know, have holdout groups that you don't show the ad and you comp- You compare the people who haven't seen the ad with the people who have seen the ad, then it gets more challenging there because you have to make sure that both groups were kind of exactly the same. Because if you hold out all men and your target is all women, they might buy things differently. Or if you hold out certain cities, which some people do, you have to make sure those cities are comparable. So it gets a little bit, it gets challenging to do that. But Amazon, and actually we at digital commerce are working on ways ways to do that so stay tuned
0: Ooh, exciting <laughs> last question before we move on to number two so you say defining your goals and knowing how they impact your business let's say you're new to programmatic advertising you were just given budget to actually put into that it's hard to know how things will impact your business where do you start
1: you test really slow right you start slow like that's the beauty mm-hmm programmatic advertising is you can modify, you're in control, right? You can modify your budget each day. You can start $100 a day, right? And if it works, you can go to $200 a day. You can shut it off for three days and see if everything falls apart, meaning you have no sales. You can turn it on and, you know, and blast it out. You can spend $5,000 in a day just to see what would happen. You have ultimate control to try different things. But I think where people miss it is um, they may just look at the metrics that appear in their their dashboard, for example. So let's go back to my credit card example because Amazon is a bit of a unique environment because they tell you exactly how much you sold and they tell you exactly how many, like it's all really tied up in a bow. But if you're Chase, right, and you're selling credit cards, you know, and you're running it through Amazon DSP, you're being told how many credit card applications you sold or you got people to sign up for based on... A pixel firing on the page right so that's um so they just count that how often did that happen and um and let's say you get told you got a hundred right a hundred new applicants today and that's just the ad server telling you that well don't you think you should go back and look at your at at your actual internal systems and see if you got a hundred applicants that day so you really need to tie it out to your real data right so what's happening to the business itself And don't divorce it from your, your marketing campaigns should not be divorced from your actual business. You should connect those two really well. And most businesses have been doing this long enough that they know how to do that, right? But if you're running a lot of ads and nothing's happening that you haven't had to, you haven't seen increases in sales, you should probably question if anything's really happening.
0: Before we get to the second common mistake and how to avoid it, I wanted to learn more about the differences between sponsored display and DSP now that we've mentioned both a few times. Let's talk sponsored display versus DSP. I know in my question, uh-huh. life, I had sent you, even I I have tried so hard to learn this and even I still get a little bit confused. So maybe, maybe you will enlighten me with actually understanding what is going on.
1: I would love to tell you, but you're not alone because <laughs> even at Amazon, they haven't really completely figured it out. I was in many meetings where we were trying to figure out how do we What's the distinction between the two? And to understand it, by the way, to take a step back, you have to understand how Amazon builds products, right? They tend to plant seeds and watch how they grow. And they're fine planting multiple seeds that may do the same thing because they learn a lot of different things when they do it, right? So Sponsored Display was launched as a, you know, and just to step back, there's three search products, right? There's Sponsored Products, which is the pure search product. There's Sponsored Brands which is a little bit further up the funnel than sponsored products, not much. The big difference there is it drives people to the store page, right, for the advertiser versus to the product detail page. So it does make you aware of the brand, right? And then there's sponsored display. And sponsored display ads, you can't tell them any different between an ad on sponsored display or a DSP ad. If you're just a regular consumer, they look exactly the same. The difference is sponsored display, originally at least, was sold on a, on a CPC basis, which means cost per click, which means that the advertiser only pays for it when a consumer clicks on the ad right, and goes through to another page, tends to be the uh, product detail page. right. Whereas the DSP, which stands for demand side platform, by the way, tends to be or is sold on a cost per impression or a CPM, cost per thousand impressions. So the advertiser pays for that whenever it shows up on the page. So those are, that's the primary difference between the two. There's some targeting differences, some reporting differences that exist. But the team at Amazon is still working through why you would buy one versus why you would buy the other. What I would recommend if you're making that decision is if you are a heavy search buyer, right, meaning you buy sponsored products and you buy sponsored brands, and it's relatively easy for you to just start buying sponsored display. It's in the same UI you can easily shift budget to it or shift it back. You could, you know, you're, you're, it's just in your flow. It's API enabled. You can do all those things. You should just keep. You should just do sponsored display and be happy. If you're planning to spend a lot, a significant amount, and you really want to build display capabilities, you probably should lean into the DSP. And that's because the DSP, while it is a separate UI and it's developed by largely a separate team, although they are working towards uh, merging those teams together. It just gives you much more refined and granular capabilities around things like targeting and measurement and how you understand how your how your ad campaign is working. So that's kind of the primary differences between the two.
0: And now that we understand those differences, let's get to Mark's second common mistake and how to avoid it.
1: Well, yeah, it's just more and more iteration. It's testing and learning. There are more advanced ways... We use a a product from Amazon called Amazon Marketing Cloud. What that is, is it allows you to look at really granular data uh, as to what's gone on in your campaign, data that Amazon's not comfortable releasing just into the wild. So I can't download that, take it somewhere, and look at every impression, look who that customer is, all these things. They keep it in, in a very contained place where we can do lots of questions and answers into it, right? We can ask, for example, hey, we showed a display ad before we showed a uh, search ad, right? Something that's, a, you know, so someone saw an ad on a, a banner, a display ad on a page, and then, you know, a day later, they actually searched for the product and bought the product, right? That doesn't actually appear anywhere in Amazon's reporting, right? And you can't get that in any other way. But you can go into Amazon Marketing Cloud and actually query and say, how often did someone see a display ad before they saw a search ad and then bought the product? So you can start to learn how do these different ad formats work together. And so we have a team of people, both at Flywheel and at Perpetua and at 4K Miles, which are our three execution companies, so to speak, who all work deeply into Amazon Marketing Cloud to really understand how campaigns are working at a really granular level. And that just gives you an, an advanced way of knowing what's going on. And then to take it to the next level, you, what Amazon allows you to do, while they don't allow any data to leave, they allow you to bring data in, okay? It's kind of like the Roach Motel. It can check in, but it can't check out. So you can bring your data in, whether, whether it's your own consumer lists, whether it's your own, your own sales matched up to consumers, which you can connect in certain ways to Amazon's data in a way that doesn't allow you to know at the consumer level, but allows you to run all those experiments at a more to give yourself more confidence as to what's going on. And we do all of that for our advertisers.
0: And that brings us to mistake number three, which is thinking that cheaper is better. A lower ECPM isn't necessarily good. You get what you pay for. So let's say you've acknowledged that cheaping out is not the best play and that just pouring a bunch of money in is not the best play without understanding what you're doing. So where do you go from here?
1: So to step back, the reason, I, I actually want to describe why, that's imp- why it's important not to just be as cheap as possible, right? Emma, you're moving to the suburbs, right? Are you buying a car or do you have a car? I have a car. Okay. So say you were going to buy a car. If I offered you a car for $100, would you want that car?
0: I'd be pretty skeptical of the quality exactly, of
1: the car. Exactly. You might not want a million dollar car. I don't think you need a Lamborghini, but you don't want a hundred dollar car either, right? There's something that's too cheap. So often, and this happened a lot early days of programmatic, it doesn't happen as much now, but I think people still get caught up into it. So eCPM is, I said, on the DSP is how you buy, your, buy impressions. You're paying per thousand impressions. And usually the price is anywhere from, could be as cheap as 50 cents, could be five, 10, $20, could be more, right? Per thousand, right? Sometimes advertisers will push you on, oh, your eCPMs are too high right and we really want you to pay less so let's say you're paying two dollars and fifty cents they really want you to get it down to a dollar fifty why is that bad because your really really good impressions might actually cost a lot more the ones that are really gonna drive response maybe they're on the front page of the new york times which means everybody who goes to the new york times sees it is really ready to act is ready to do something and that's when you really get awareness and you drive awareness of your product right whereas the really low cost impressions the extreme the cheapest impression i ever bought was 1 or 2 cent CPM impressions and those were on myspace.com back in the late late aughts early I'm yes I'm that old cuz myspace was just like this impression machine cuz it was just tons and tons of ads just showing all the time and you could get them for a penny or two right but those weren't really quality impressions they didn't really drive awareness and no one really saw them and things like that so you really want to you really want to understand the value of the impression and the value of your campaign, um, not based on the cost of the impression, but on what it's actually on the performance it's actually driving, which is the magical incremental CPA that we talked about before.
0: Okay. So I might be skeptical of a $100 car, but what if it is actually a good car for $100? Maybe sometimes cheaper could be better.
1: So that's a good question because the, the penny or two cent CPM ads that I used to buy on MySpace, we actually bought them all day and all night because they were so cheap that they backed into the cost per acquisition we needed to hit okay so we were able it was it was just at some point the impressions just become so cheap that they actually are doing what you need them to do but to go stick with the car example and i think this is really a a good analogy if i sell you a hundred dollar car that actually doesn't run Doesn't even have an engine. It's just a shell. Doesn't have a seat. Probably was on fire, or was you know someone drove it into a into the Hudson River. You know it's probably not worth it. So it's really important when we were buying those one cent or two cent impressions that we made sure that while they were really cheap, they had some key quality things that we needed. Things like did consumers actually see them, right? Meaning were they viewable? You know I talked a little bit about viewability before. How often. Did you show the ads to an individual? Right, that's an important part of display advertising. Is what we call frequency caps. So most most ads you don't really want to show to a consumer more than two or three times a day. Right, you don't. You know, if you're getting chased around by the same ad and you're seeing it hundred or two hundred times, whoever's doing that doesn't know what they're doing. Right. When I was buying the penny or two two penny uh, impressions, this was like two thousand nine. I will be totally honest with you. We didn't. There was no such thing as viewability at the time. And there was, and we probably were you know, I think we were doing few frequency capping pretty good. But we probably, if we did it, we probably would not buy those impressions now, even though we were buying them until the cows come home back then.
0: That wraps up our three most common mistakes and how to avoid or fix them with programmatic advertising. Because Mark worked at Amazon, I wanted to ask him, what are the main differences between working for Amazon and now working for digital commerce at Essential?
1: Well, I'll tell you what's not different. I haven't noticed a difference in the quality of people. Like when you leave a place like Amazon, you're very worried that, geez, I worked with, I mean, nine years of working with nothing but superstars, right? Everybody that you work with there is a superstar, right? You get worried when you leave that, oh my God, I'm not going to work with superstars. And I knew people like Patrick and Chip were superstars, but I've been really pleasantly surprised that basically everybody I've worked with here I don't feel like I've had any step down in any way, right? And that's a compliment to both the people at Amazon and the people at Essential. And I left Amazon on the best of terms. I really enjoyed my time there. Could you tell I was there for nine years?
0: (laughs) To round us out, I asked Mark again for that item that's been on his digital wish list that he just won't press buy now for.
1: I have a really long wish list of books that I want to read. And... um mostly history world history and i and i don't even know which one we could but just say your generic history books i'm mostly interested in like american history and european history but i have now largely banned myself from buying any new books until i read all the books i have because i think actually even if i i will probably never have to buy another book because i have so many books at home that i if i just quit my job and started reading i don't think i have enough time to finish all of them because i tend to just collect them
0: it's a lot of books
1: well, when you work at Amazon, they do tend to sit around. We used to sit next to the publishing and they would get a lot of free books and they would just sit around and you'd just grab them.
0: Last, last, last question. Are you a dog person? I have a dog. Okay. That's a good start.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I have a dog and two cats. And um, if you're on any video conferences with me, you will, you know my cats because for some reason one of them likes to always be on the screen and he tends to sit right behind me in all the call calls but i do have a dog and i love him but i'll be honest with you we call him our first and our last dog (laughs) we (laughs) we love him but i don't think we'll be getting another one you can leave cats for several days and nothing bad happens when you have a dog you can't leave for more than a couple hours
0: that's true that's true we asked the question just because, you know, like in Baltimore, dogs are, I, I think yes. in Seattle too, we have dogs in the office. So
1: I will tell you, I love Todd. The best story I heard about Todd was early days, they used to introduce him on calls. Some customers actually thought that Todd was a human who worked there, and then Todd wasn't in the meeting, and they, they were actually asked, where's Todd? And then they explained that Todd was actually a dog, because most dogs now have people names like Todd and yeah George. And most kids now have dog names, <laughs> like Baxter and, uh, <laughs> you know.
0: Yeah. Interesting how that works. And we have made it to the end of another episode of Mastering Meet If you are enjoying this podcast so far, please share and follow along to our next episode, where we talk about building a digital commerce team, which is no easy feat. That's for sure. Again, my name is Emma Irwin, and you can find me on LinkedIn, or via emma.erwin at essential.com. This episode was produced by Klaus Kanzel, and our sound designer is Enos Satenji.
1: Well, thanks for doing this. It's been great.